This podcast is brought to you by NeuroCreative Studio, the number one provider of one-to-one applied neuroscience coaching and development programs designed to enhance your creativity and effectiveness. Find out more at neurocreative.studio. You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. We're all looking at the same picture, just through different keyholes. Regular listeners will probably have noticed that I love to talk to people who can shed more light on the picture by letting us see it the way they do. Now, today I'm speaking to the disruptive and provocative Rebecca Hartnell, and we open the conversation with some insights into the discipline of avoiding burnout. And then we venture down the path of intuitive understanding, metaphors of divine masculine and feminine, and how that reflects the cultures we see in the workplace, and how it can be used to make necessary changes. We also look at completion and the role of celebration as part of the cycle. All in all, if you're looking for food for thought, you've come to the right place. Rebecca, I want to ask you something because you you do these great posts on LinkedIn, which are always very insightful and very entertaining and sometimes quite provocative. But there was one the other day that I found it pinged a string for me. So I want to ask you about it. And it's the one you wrote about breaking your own rules and um, you talk about having carved out a default diary and you know protecting your sanity basically in terms of your time management, but slipping back into ways that were actually going away from that track. Can you just talk to me a little bit about that? Because I think that that is something that so many people fall foul of, and they they do kind of they have great intentions, but they don't always have uh, the the uh, the rigor to stick with what they know they need. Mm, beautiful. Well, two things. Thank you for seeing me as disruptive um, and slightly challenging. I think that that's, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> and I, I, I think humans are cyclical. Um, I think humans are cyclical and there are very good reasons that we have developed that we may not be treating ourselves as well as we could be. And it's easy to pull back into those. So I realized earlier this year that in trying to run this business, trying to upscale, uh, trying to train as a shamanic practitioner, write a book, all of those things, um, I was truly burnt out. And uh, and so I carved out, as you say, the default diary and went, no more clients. And then this thing happens. This thing happens where gorgeous clients who I've worked with before come and say, can I work with you? And that's A, very good with my, for my ego, but also they are gorgeous clients and, and we have wonderful relationships. And then secondly, new clients show up and I am, I would call this professionally curious, probably endlessly nosy. I want to know how, you know, how, what drives them and how we can, how we can make that better. And then suddenly I'm out of routine again and, um, and I've, you know, my diary's stacked and I'm neglecting other parts of my life and, and neglecting me. And when I neglect me, then I'm not the best coach or supervisor or shamanic practitioner. And um, it brings me to a place in um, the work that I do, which I'm working with at the moment. And I think this might be really pertinent. I think another reason that we do it, that we override ourselves, is that we've been taught to. So there's a place in the cycle of Gestalt 
um, in call, uh, entitled Arousal. I'd like to bring you to Arousal. How's that for a podcast session? Um, <laughs> That's our title right there. <laughs> <laughs> thought that would be a good place to begin. Um, but arousal and awareness, sensation in our bodies, discomfort, we've been taught to ignore it. Yes. So... And we've been taught, been taught to ignore it for, for various reasons. Firstly, it is uncomfortable and we want to make it go away. But also when we ignore those discomforts, those sensations, those arousals in our physical selves, um, people can capitalise on it. So people can get money out of us. We can be consumers. We can be social media people. We can be wine drinkers. We can make money out of our discomfort. And it mm. takes away from the discomfort that we need to be looking at, which takes place in our body. And it's mm-hmm. the thing that tells us that we're overworking, that we are, you know, something's not right. Um, yeah. and I got to that place again where I was like, I, could, I couldn't breathe. Too many clients coming in the door. Love them all, but ooh, um, And that sense of anxiety. But I was overriding it. So I think there's two things. I realised I haven't breathed in this. Two things before I stop. One, we don't want to sit with that discomfort. And two, uh, we are encouraged to override it. And then we don't mm-hmm. make you know, it's it's absolutely fascinating what you're talking about because um, you you are right. We are we are trained and we are conditioned to override physical sensations right from the very very earliest days. Um, and then, of course, you know, in in a, I always find myself coming back to the years that we spend in a schoolroom, where you know you need to have permission to go to the bathroom and you need to do all these things. And I actually remember speaking to um, a mum. Who's, she had homeschooled her kids for many years. And then when they actually went into um, a, a school setting, they could not believe that you needed permission to go to the bathroom. Mm. And that's just one example, you know, of of how it is that we have numbed our awareness of what's going on in our bodies. Mm. And this idea, I guess, then of, of coming to that point where we have such slight awareness of them, you know, at that point, I think, where we all want to believe that we can do something more. I, I call that actually the Icarus point, you know, where we, we think we can take on one more task. We think we can get that little bit closer to the sun. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we've got the melted wings and we're on a heap in the ground. Completely. You know, you know and there's a, a stage where I'm getting, actually, can I go back to the head, the, the, the school example? Please do, do. Um, I'm the daughter of a head teacher and um, I have the strongest bladder in the whole world still, because there's never time for me to go to the toilet. So um, I just, that really resonated with me. As my mum was a head teacher, it was just, there was never time. And I always had to ask permission and it got in the way. So, um, you know, it's true, we override from a very early stage. Sometimes having a strong bladder is an asset, but, you know, maybe maybe I could, don't need it. But that side of um, completely overriding, and I'll tell you when I really notice it first, and I don't know if this will resonate with the people who are listening. It may well resonate well with you. But when I'm pushing on through in that way, I'm going, I can the Icarus bit, I can do a little bit more, I can do a little bit more. And there's a determination in me. Of my, I, I can feel that persistence in me. But the first thing that resists me is technology. So the computer mm-hmm. will go the printer won't print out or, um, you know, it's technology that tell, is the first thing that tells me that I am actually going beyond my remit in this minute i might be able to come back to it in five minutes but i need to stop in the moment right now i don't heed it but i'm beginning to see where it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the thing isn't it it is really a form of self-awareness that we need to actually understand what the signals are um you know we would talk a lot about um 
the Goldilocks curve and, you know, this kind of chemical cocktail that we've got and what's just right for each person and the the sort of symptoms that we get when we are either, uh, you know, at one side or the other, whether we're in overstimulation or understimulation with that, you know, it might be. Um, I, I want some of it, the Goldilocks syndrome. <laughs> I'd, I'd like a bottle of that, please, when I'm writing. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really. Just, I guess it's just um, understanding that you know various levels of stimulation are are appropriate for various people. We're not all, yeah, we don't all work the same way. We don't all respond to stimulation the same way. For some of us, you know, it is a case of we need a bungee jump in the morning to just to kind of get that kick. And for somebody else, it's right. We absolutely have to have our calm hour before we can face the day. Mm-hmm. So. Knowing that and knowing what pushes us beyond the sweet spot on that curve, that, you know, that it really does take awareness and discipline. And this is why I loved your post. It's about recognizing that we need the discipline to say no to things or the discipline to find more of what it is that that makes us do what we do. And I think um, before discipline comes um, compassion. Mm. Because yes. I can then, if I catch myself out and I've slipped or I've slid or, you know, and, and I can, and I self-flagellate, that makes it very difficult to move forward and do the right thing for me um, because mm-hmm. I'm in a bad place because I've told myself off for doing it wrong again. The recognition that we will slide, we will slide back into old habits, but then I can get back much quicker, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. resilience bang on about all the time is that actually it's not that we don't make mistakes it's not that we don't fall off our pedestal it's that we know how to climb back on quicker and what we need to do in order to do so i think that's the real thing yeah yeah absolutely that self-compassion i think that that's such a wonderful way of, of thinking about it as well and that's not being easy on ourselves that isn't necessarily about you know taking the soft way out either but it is about understanding that, you know, we have a value that's equal to anyone else's value or needs and that we need to respect that if we are to do our best for the people around us. I think one of the the, the interesting points here as well is how much expectation and perceived expectation play into whether or not we will allow ourselves that self-compassion. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? There's nobody mm. harder on themselves than me. And um, and that's bonkers, isn't it? My husband quite often says, why are you doing that to yourself? And, we, you know, we're very different creatures. Um, but what I perceive people think of me and what it's actually mine um, mm. and it's internalised. And I think it's especially internalised. I don't know if I'm stereotyping here, there's a risk. But for women, because we show up in so many, so many different roles, mm-hmm. um, that there are genuine expectations of us to show up in, in a different roles. And then there's our own perceived internalized ones. Um, and, and those are just bonkers sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. and the word stop can be really powerful. Yeah. And I know that you have a, a, a very great interest in this aspect of things. Rebecca, do you want to tell us a bit more about the work that you're doing on that and uh, the, the term that you use, the divine feminine. So the divine feminine, it's, uh, thank you, it's it's countercultural. Um, it is the opposite of the linear goal-orientated ways forward that we've been using for the past couple of millennia. Well, actually, just, just before we um, go down this route, yeah. um, I'll have to ask for the benefit of, of, of all, is this... Is this an issue that only relates to women or is this something that needs to be considered by both male and female or 
you know, however people perceive themselves? Wonderful question. And absolutely not. It's, it applies to all humans. Um, it's not about gender. It's about mm. en- energy. So there's the divine feminine and then there's the divine masculine. And the idea is that they work in union. And what we've been in is a fairly toxic masculine because there's been no divine feminine to inform it uh, and bring balance. That idea mm-hmm. of balance, I'm sure there's a shop somewhere that sells balance, but I've not found it yet. I'm constantly in the ebb and flow. Um, so this, the idea of the masculine is the masculine is very goal-orientated, going forward, task-orientated, and it's about delivering. The feminine is around the internal process and the receiving and actually there's a whole process around it. If we receive well in the first place, um, then we can make really good decisions. And then the action we take is going to be really. Mm. And then there's the reflection and the celebration and the withdrawal from that so that we take the whole lessons from each accident. So the masculine bit is actually possibly quite a small amount of that cycle. And a lot of it is internal, maybe invisible and thus, thus unacknowledged. But all humans need to be going between the two. Yes. And actually, that would reflect very well a lot of, um, you know, the writings even of people like Ian McGilchrist and so on, who writes about uh, the brain and the integrated thinking that we need, rather than, you know, leaning into one function of the brain or the other function of the brain. And so, yeah, I mean, I can see very, very much how this would, um, these descriptions are easy for people to, I think, maybe understand Mm. fairly clearly. Mm. I think it's tricky in a in a culture where we have been in the masculine in the majority for a long period of time because in some ways there's nothing to show for the feminine. So how do you demonstrate and how do you prove in a culture that mm. needs to demonstrate and prove something that's internal, something that's internal, <laughs> yeah. internal and has nothing to show, something that's right brain, something that's you know something that's creative, something that's lateral. Um, how yeah, so it, it's not acknowledged or valued, but only the masculine is rewarded. Okay, so then if if what you're saying, if I'm picking up on you correctly, you're you're saying that we've got a world that values um, things that can be quantified, things that can be qualified, mm-hmm. and we need to find a new system of understanding value. Is that right? Mm, I think it is a new a new um, a new way of valuing it, a new metric, a new appreciation mm. of 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 wisdom, actually. Um, what think, might that look like? I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I, I don't think I've got a, a, a particular measure. I've, I've got ways of working through this and ways of enabling people to access it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily going to be measurable because it's going mm-hmm. to be uh, for every individual. Um, their, their, their action, when yeah. they move into the masculine, will be better informed, wiser, will be the masculine will be better uh but how you measure the feminine that's a personal thing and again that's really difficult it's a really great question because i'm going to have to demonstrate this to people who are going to pay me money to do it so um (laughs) it's a really great question in a world that only only uh, measures the deliver you know yeah um so it's about if i'm going to translate it it's about delivering really well Yeah. yeah yeah I suppose it's it's the you know if if we have the left and the right if if they're operating in conjunction they are operating better they're operating um, stronger together I guess yeah. and actually the thing that came up as you were talking there was um, you, you know the uh, the system they have in the Kingdom of Bhutan where it's uh, not about gross national product or gross national profit it's about gross national happiness oh that's a nice measure. <laughs> 
isn't it? Yeah, it just sounds so lovely. Yeah. And the, the happiness, the, you know, there are various statistics that if people are working in happiness and pleasure and psychological safety, then, then the turnover of the, of the company is much better. Um, but mm. yeah, how we actually weave this into organizations and into culture, um, you know, yeah. the beginning with hybrid working and with four day weeks and, and people are beginning to kind of play with, with decent leadership and better culture. And, and I think these are the organizations that will survive the, the really tricky oncoming times that, that are in this, particularly in the UK, because they're really investing in their people and nourishing them. And then their output is, um, as an aside, is better. Yeah, that actually that is really so interesting as well, because, you know, we can see that the the data is supporting this now. The data is supporting psychological safety, is supporting better company culture and so on. So from what I've seen, people are starting to want this for their businesses and so on. Mm. But I guess one of the things as well is that you can't just apply this topically. Mm. This has to, you know, this has to come from not just bottom up or top down. This has to come from both sides. This has to be absolutely bred into everything that any business does in order for it to actually take hold, take root and be the culture as opposed to be the aspirational culture. Yes, there's a lot of um, box ticking and tokenism um, around mm. this kind of stuff. And uh, it really, it's a dissonance that, that aggravates me because it's, it's, it's not, not a truth. Um, so this needs to be really systemic. Hmm. Fascinating. And how then do all of these things work together? How do how do these things interweave to become something better? We turn them on their heads. Um, that's mm-hmm. exactly what we do. So we learn to listen to our bodies and really, you know, with that arousal, those sensations, we then begin to really translate that into awareness and into the words to communicate it with risk, um, tran- you know, communicating what, what feels odd or quirky. Then we mobilize and we work together. Um, and we dissolve that witch wound. One of the experiences I had in my art group was trying to copy somebody else's work. Been in this art group for twenty five years. She's a brilliant artist. She's an illustrator, art therapist. And really, realizing I couldn't, feeling I had failed, and then her turning around after an hour and really affirming what I'd done. She loved what I'd done and couldn't have done what I'd done. So how can we possibly? It was a radical moment for me about the age of 27. I was like, oh, God, we cannot compete. There is no competition. Take all that competition out and you've got collaboration. Great. Exactly. That's what they say, isn't it? Artists don't compete, they collaborate. Yeah, yeah. But then Um, again, apparently they also say that artists are dangerous because they talk to everyone. So, I mean, (laughs) who's to know? Artists are dangerous. You speak, you know, absolutely. Artists are terribly dangerous. And, uh, and, And I was one and still am. So... You know, we need to turn all those things on their, on their heads and, and then the action that comes on the top of those three things, the sensation, the awareness, the mobilisation, the action is going to be really good. It's a wise one. We may, we're solving the right problem mm-hmm. in the right way with the right people. Great. What could possibly yeah. go wrong? And then there's the other half of the cycle, which we totally miss. I mean, on the whole, making sure that we've actually done it properly, whatever the action was because otherwise we, jobs are unfinished. Um, how often do we have to go back and complete a job, especially in an organisation, because there isn't time to do it properly? Then we've got celebration. Now, celebration is really important because it's really important for um, arresting burnout. All of us are burned out at the moment. There are so many people mm-hmm. who are so tired following the pandemic and then kind of uh, adjusting to the world we're in now. 
I know people say it's normal. It really isn't. There are all sorts of things going on under the surface. So celebration is where we address our burnout. And then the reflection piece. So we don't keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And that insanity. Mm. In organisations, I see it in organisations all the time. It's like, oh, you learned that didn't work last time. You learned that didn't work last time. Oh, look, you've done it again. And that's bonkers. And humans do it. But we need to pause long enough to go, did that work? What didn't? What did? Mm. And, and learn. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love the way that you include celebration in there with reflection. And one of the things, actually, I was uh, listening to uh, an earlier interview this morning as I was editing it, and we were talking about, you know, the idea that um, people prepare all the time for disaster. They're always preparing for the bad things that might happen because they want to avoid them. But we rarely, almost in that, it's, you know, the negativity bias kicks in and we want Mm -hmm. to avoid any bad things that can happen. You still don't prepare for the one that does. <laughs> but but the point actually that came from this was that we do need to prepare for good things as well. We need to actually be open to good things because if we're not, if we have a mind that focuses on negativity and preventing negativity and preventing the bad things, then we we actually just maybe don't even, we, we, we blinker ourselves to all of the positives and the potential that are around us. Yes, and the joy and the nourishment. And um, yeah, I, I tell so it, you, it's also a practice. You know, this idea of of celebrating, of owning your uh, successes as much as your mistakes, as somebody put it, yeah. that we actually we do need to um, bed in this thinking through repetition as well as the uh, avoiding mistakes. Change comes through practice. Change comes mm. through committing to showing up and keeping on doing it, and then starting it again when we've stopped doing it. Um, mm. And, and these are really culturally embedded things. Um, this takes me back to um, Protestant work ethic. Mm. And again, you know, which all arose around the witch wound time. So 700 years we've been, we've been living in this where, where celebration, pride before a fall, it's really dangerous. It's, uh, you know, to be, yeah. to be brilliant is a, feels like a really risky thing. But yet how do you do your marketing if in an organization, if you don't believe what you're doing is brilliant. But your marketing mm-hmm. is actually a celebration of what you're bringing. But it feels incredible. That's why people don't do their own marketing, because it's dangerous to celebrate. And we are told when to celebrate. You can do births, marriages, deaths, you know, family holidays. You can birth Christmas. But to celebrate, to really own, to take ownership and the delight and the joy and the nourishment from you, something you've really done well, in whatever way you wish, that's your fuel for the next bit. Mm. Why would we mm-hmm. not do that? Because we've been told not to. Oh, Rebecca, there are so many things that we've been told not to do, but we go and do them anyway because we're rule breakers, right? That's the joy <laughs> of it. That's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, just in wrapping up, um, I would love people to know where to find out more about what you're doing um, because I have no doubt that there are people out there who are going to be really keen to find out so where should they start? What's the best place to track you down? Stalk you? Stalk me. You can stalk me on LinkedIn, being radical and um, and challenging. Uh, uh, as Rebecca Hartnell, you can find me at the Demon Career Coach, uh, which also quite radical, uh, full of trees. If anybody doesn't like trees, don't go there. Uh, and you'll find me on Instagram as the Divine Feminine. So I have various iterations. And if you want me to show up as a, as a shamanic practitioner, I can also do that. Just contact me. 
Well, that is fantastic. I'll put all those in the notes so that people can peruse them at their leisure. Rebecca, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. As always, really appreciate your time. No, lovely. Real privilege. Thank you very much. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice and bite-sized brain science every week. 